Hello and welcome to Not Your Inspiration, the podcast where I ramble about disability. My name is Gray, I'm the host of this shit show, and today um, we are going to get a little bit down and dirty. We're going to get into it. Last episode, I talked about disability in Hollywood and media representation. This episode's going to be a little heavier. Content warning for this episode, I am going to touch on themes of death and sexual abuse. Um, So if those are things that you are not comfortable with, I would recommend um, maybe skipping this episode. So last episode and kind of all of my episodes have talked about disability issues that are, um, to put it kind of maybe not in the best terms, but more of first world disability issues that does not by any means that they are trivialized because they're not. Um, If they weren't important to the disability community, I would not be here talking about them. Um, But I've talked about things like emotional um, grieving your health. I've talked about the trauma of doctors. Last episode, I talked about disability in the media and Hollywood. So I've talked about things that are, again, I just want to keep reiterating this. I am not saying they're not important. However, um, they so far have not always been life or death death things. Um, Today, I want to talk about disability throughout the developing world. I want to talk about um, the extremely high rate of sexual abuse amongst disabled people. Um, And I want to talk about how lack of access kills. And it doesn't matter if you are in a small village in Sudan or or if you are on the streets of London. If you cannot access care, that still kills. It is 2018. And that is not okay. And that's what we're going to be talking about. I think it's important to sometimes step back and realize like, okay, you know what? This lady who was at the cafe and maybe asked me a really disrespectful question, is that ableist? Yes. Is that okay? Absolutely not. Is it life and death? No. And I think to be a good advocate, um, it's really important to think about kind of different intersections of disability. And I think that includes thinking about it in a more global aspect. Um, And I am really, really guilty of getting very caught up in a very Americanized sense of disability. And I, growing up in the suburbs of Chicago, living in a relatively well-off area, it's kind of sometimes easy to get into this place where like the absolute worst thing that happens to disabled people is like um, maybe not being able to afford a wheelchair as opposed to being killed, which is still happening. I'm not accusing anyone of like, oh, no one cares about disability in the developing world. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is me personally, I'm very guilty of talking about disability in a very specific sense and a lot of those issues like disability and media which is something I'm really passionate about or um, the emotional impact of becoming disabled or um, like lack of following ADA laws which is the Americans with Disability Act if you are outside of America I can get very very caught up in those issues and they're extremely important issues they are not minor they matter However, there are other issues that matter that I often don't talk about. So today I want to talk about some of the issues that aren't talked about as much within the cripple punk community. Um, 
And the reason I keep repeating that the issues I have been talking about and the issues this community talks about is important is because I don't want anyone to take this as me being like, oh, well, all those other issues are trivial and first world and people have it worse off because I hate that, you know, like when you're complaining to someone and they're like, well, at least you're not starving in Africa. Like, I hate that. I am not at all trying to pull, you know, the, hey, at least it's not cancer type of mentality where I say that, you know, well, people have it worse off. I'm not at all trying to do that. Um... I just want to talk about these things. All right, that's my very long, very repetitive disclaimer. So I've done a fair amount of research for this episode. I have notes in front of me. I would like to talk about the killing of disabled children, um, which is a very dark topic. And it still happens. It still happens quite a lot, Um, specifically in Ghana. In Ghana, one of the higher paid professions are quote-unquote priests whose job it is is to um, leave disabled babies by rivers and let them be taken by God. That's a real job, it's a really high paid job, and that's a real thing that people do. They abandon their disabled kids, they kill their disabled kids, um, it happens all the time. And I, I don't want to sit here and say those parents living in, in this particular instance I'm talking about Ghana, I'm going to get to other countries in a minute. Um, I don't want to sit here and say, you know, those parents in Ghana who are killing their disabled children are evil, awful people. They kind of are. They're killing their children. However, it's really important to look at the socioeconomic status of those people and the society they live in. No one leaves their newborn baby to die out in the wilderness if they feel like they have any other option. No mother is going to kill her child if she feels like it's not the last resort. Are there other options? Of course there are. But if someone has been educated in a way that says, you know, disabled people are God's mistake, if someone is living in a small village in Ghana where they are going to be stigmatized to the point of not being able to eat or work because they have a disabled child, and if they don't have the resources to take care of that child, and if they have everyone around them, including priests, saying, you know, it's better to kill this child, I think it's not fair to say that they're the evil ones. I think, are they doing something evil? Absolutely. Is it okay to kill any child? No fucking way. But there's something wrong with the fact that priests and religious officials who make money actual physical money off of the killing of Ghanan children with disabilities are encouraging these parents to kill their children or to leave them out. Another thing in Ghana in particular, and this is also a lot um, in that same region of Africa, but it is, um, according to different human rights organizations, the worst in Ghana, Um, there are things called prayer camps, which you would take your child to and they're usually religious organizations either christian or muslim or more traditional and a lot of them are extremely extremely abusive there's no medical care there in the western sense that we would say medical care um, and it's very expensive they basically loot these parents and tie children up there's a very interesting documentary called the worst place to be disabled and the um presenter the investigative journalist is named sophie morgan i believe and she herself is in a wheelchair Um, and it takes place in ghana and it's 
a very difficult watch so I wouldn't watch it um, on an empty stomach or if you're very sensitive to that stuff um, but it's a bit tragic and it's not just Ghana that's just the example um, that came up when I was doing research it was just over and over again talked about as kind of the worst place in a lot of places disabled people are stuck in their homes and by a lot of places I also mean America because um, Medicare and Medicaid do not they, they will cover wheelchairs that are usable in the house, but they will not, they don't really care if it's not usable outside of the house. And that's actually true. Um, I'm not making that up, which I wish I was, but no. Um, anyway, back to my original point. In a lot of places, disabled people are completely stuck in their houses or stuck in bed when they don't have to be. Um, when they could have a wheelchair or other assistive device and be able to get out and be a part of their community. But not only do those communities not want them, they don't have access to it. And if you're living in a place with bumpy dirt roads and you've never seen a wheelchair, even if some humanitarian organization donates a wheelchair, that's not enough to change cobblestone or dirt roads. It's, and it's certainly not enough to change the stigma of disability that is so prevalent in the first place that it is impossible to get access to those things. In small villages in India, disabled people are sometimes thought of as a curse, and often their mothers can be very stigmatized. Um, and by stigmatized, I mean it can lead to severe physical violence and complete ostr ostracization from the community. I think that's a major, major thing, and it happens all over the world, too. There are many many reports out of many different countries and countries that aren't considered part of the developing world that are considered completely first world of disabled people um, stuck in their homes because they don't have access to equipment and again i think the two main things here are stigma and class and money and obviously those are really really complex there's a lot there it's not simple stigma around disability in many different countries comes from many different things and depending on the culture there might be different things i think it's easy to say oh well you know it's just capitalism and if you can't contribute to the economy then you're stigmatized but it is so much more than that it can have to do with someone's religion it can have to do with cultural beliefs it can have it can have to simply do with the practical reality of life that has been that way for generations and generations and even if it is not that way anymore attitudes remain long after practical realities do so stigma is a huge, broad category. I don't know the specifics of stigma against disability in, say, the Philippines or India or in places in Africa or, you know, places in Europe because I have not done that research and I'm not part of those cultures, so I don't want to speak on it. It's there, it's prevalent. It's there and prevalent all over the world in every single country you go to. And in addition to that, money plays a huge part in every single country. And whether that is someone in a rural village who cannot afford the American equivalent of $20 to travel into a city to see a doctor, or whether that is an American who can't afford a couple hundred dollars to pay for insulin that month. If you do not have money, it is almost impossible to survive as a disabled person. It is almost impossible to be a part of the community as a disabled person if you do not have a ridiculous amount of money. No matter where you are in the world, being disabled is expensive. No matter where you are in the world, you will be ostracized to some amount. At the end of the day, isolation is a huge factor in disability. 
Of course, being ostracized looks different in different parts of the world. It looks very different in, say, Scotland than perhaps it does in Malaysia. But at the end of the day, it's a similar mental thing. It is easy to forget that mothers still kill their disabled children because they can't afford to take care of them because society tells them to. And by society, I don't necessarily just mean huge um, existential kind of like ideas that permeate. I mean actual people in the community, teachers, priests, religious officials. Society has a face in a lot of these cases. It's not just like old ideas from long ago. It's your neighbor or your mother. It's also easy to forget that disabled children in America, England, other very westernized countries that we tend to think of as like, oh, these global superpowers, these big imperialist countries, um, children are still dying and still being killed. And the news often doesn't talk about it. And that's a whole thing in and of itself. When a disabled person dies, the media often neglects it. There was a case, I don't remember the year off the top of my head, but in the early 2000s, of a mother leaving her quadriplegic son out in the woods with a blanket. And he was found later by some hikers and brought to a hospital and he survived. And this was in America. I believe this was in Minnesota or Wisconsin. And she just said she couldn't do it anymore. She couldn't take care of him anymore. And she abandoned him. And I'll say this. If you have a child... You have to be prepared for whatever that child is. I understand there's so many complexities to that. Not everyone chooses to have a child. Not everyone raising that child is that biological child's parent. You don't abandon your kid. That being said, what the hell is wrong with the American system that that mother was so much at her wit's end that she abandoned her kid in the woods? What's wrong with this insurance system, health system, hospital system, that that mother felt like her son dying alone was the only option she had left? And yes, people have argued, you know, oh, well, she was not mentally stable at the time or she was just plain evil. And yes, she was just plain evil. People who leave their kids in the woods to die are plain evil. There's no two ways about it. She doesn't get out of it. I'm not trying to say, oh, well... It's the system's fault. You know, she's a loving mother. I hope her son makes her a Mother's Day card. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is, what the hell is wrong with the American healthcare system that people are so far at their wit's end that they turn to murder? Because it's something. I don't know what it is. I'm not a doctor. I'm not an insurance rep. I'm not a government official. But there's something really fucked up about that, to put it harshly. When I say people are killing their disabled children, the image that comes to mind should not be of a remote village in Africa. Sometimes it's the suburbs of Illinois, or a city in California, or a city in London, or a city in Canada. It's people who are relatively middle class and relatively well-educated, murdering kids simply because they're disabled and it's the news not talking about it and it's very small pockets of the disability community talking about it 
understandably, it's really hard to talk about, but it needs to be talked about. Oftentimes, you'll hear about it with kids who have developmental disabilities. It's not any more okay, right? People are like, oh, well, I just can't manage my kid, you know? They're just too much to manage. And instead of seeking help, or instead of help being available, they'll turn to being extremely, extremely abusive. A lot of people will give their kids up. They'll give them away when they find out they have developmental disabilities. There's a good documentary done by Attitude, which is a New Zealand um, show about disability. They have a lot of very real, honest stories. I highly recommend checking it out. They're on YouTube. Anyway, they did a documentary about parents in New Zealand who had autistic children that they sent to group homes. I am not the parent of a quote-unquote low-functioning autistic child, which I hate functioning labels, but to use the documentary's words, we're going to go with it right now. I'm not that parent. I've never been that exhausted. I've never raised a child. I understand that. I am not one to talk. I am myself on the autism spectrum. Um, so I feel like maybe I have more of a perspective from the kid's point of view, but again, it is so different for everyone and so individual. I know a lot of people say those parents are doing what's best for their kids. In my mind, and maybe this is because I have abandonment issues, or maybe this is, I don't know what it is. In my mind, you never abandon your child. It could be argued that that's the best thing for that child, because staying with those parents would be an abusive situation. And would I rather a kid be at a school with other kids who have the same disability and trained professionals? Yes. Well, with them, with that school, instead of with an abusive family, yes, it's better than being in an abusive situation. However, often the professionals at those places are not as well trained as we like to think they are. They don't care as much as we think they care. And it is always better for a kid to be with their parents than not with their parents. There's tons of research on attachment disorders and major lifelong traumas that come from parents giving up their kids, sending them away. This sort of leads me into my next topic, which is the institutional kind of aspect of disability. Some disabled people are put in group homes, nursing homes, places like that completely against their will. There was one guy in 1995 in Canada who spent two years in a nursing home totally against his will, to the point where he called the cops, saying, I'm being held against my will, and the cops did nothing. They said he had no right to leave, even though he was a fully grown adult at the time. I didn't write down his name because I'm one of those people who has a horrible memory, but I'm like, oh, I'll remember, it's fine. Um, but he is a huge disabled activist, and I will leave his name in the show notes when I remember it. Um, And eventually he left the place, but it was only because he had the money to spend on lawyers to sue them. Most people don't have the money to spend on lawyers to sue places like that, and most people don't have a place to go when they get out. Disabled people are still systemically shut away and hidden from public view in abusive and neglectful places. It's not much different than it was in the 1940s and 50s, and It wasn't good in the 1940s and 50s, hint, hint. Institutions are so often abusive and neglectful, and so often disabled people aren't listened to when they talk about it. In fact, even 
places that aren't institutions. Disabled people are abused way more than able-bodied people. 80% of disabled women, 80% of disabled women have experienced sexual abuse. One in three disabled people of all genders. That's ridiculous. That's unacceptable. That's significantly higher than the statistic of able-bodied people. And that statistic does not include all the people who do not have the resources or do not want to report it. A lot of that abuse happens in institutions, but not all of it. At home, disabled people are often a target. Physically disabled people and developmentally disabled people are so often the victims of of abuse. A lot of people will say, well, my autistic child is abusive to me, or my mentally ill child is abusive to me, or my disabled child is just too much work and I can't handle it. But the reality is, those children are so much more likely to be abused. And it's not just children. Disabled people are often treated like children their entire lives, and therefore not given autonomy and not given the space to make their own decisions. And within treating them like children, they're often abused by the the quote-unquote authorities in charge. Those authorities can be nurses at institutions or doctors or parents. It can be anyone. And it's a problem. And there was a huge study done by Human Human Rights Watch that disabled people are less likely to be believed by police or social workers. There are so many reasons why that could be that I could spend so long talking about, but I won't, because to be completely honest, it's a difficult topic for me personally to talk about. I have a quick segue here. When it comes to not just disabled people, but also able-bodied people, there's so much that goes into reporting sexual abuse. And oftentimes people say, well, if a disabled person or any person is going through that, just speak up. And I think with everything going on in the media right now, with all of the Time's Up stuff, with all of the creepy, like, disgusting men in Hollywood and this institutionalized harassment and abuse of people, it takes so long, even once that stuff is reported, to get anything to happen. There was an article that came out about the um, Larry Nassar case, the um, doctor for the gymnasts, about how many people were abused by him while the FBI was investigating because the FBI was taking their sweet time. And this was multiple reports by multiple high-profiled able-bodied people, let alone one report by one disabled person or one developmentally disabled person that can be so easily discredited in court. It's a problem, and it doesn't just apply to disabled people. It applies to everyone. It is everyone's problem. It's one that needs to be solved. Law enforcement needs to hurry up. And this is part of the hundreds and hundreds of reasons that we have a very anti-cop sentiment on this podcast. There are any cops listening, full offense, but y'all need to get it the fuck together and stop. Alright, I'm done with my sidetrack. It doesn't matter the country, it doesn't matter the methodology. Oh, there's my dog again. 
It doesn't matter where in the world. It doesn't matter the method of abuse. Disabled people are more likely to be abused and less likely to be believed. Disabled people are still dying because they can't access care. Thousands of people in America alone die because they cannot afford medical care. And thousands of people around the world die because they don't have access and they can't afford medical care. And if you can't afford it, you kind of automatically don't have access. Like, I shouldn't have to explain why that's a problem. But I think to some people, they need it laid out. And I would just like to say, it doesn't matter if that disabled person is a felon or an addict or just a horrible, disgusting person. People should not be dying because they can't afford or can't access medical care. Period. End of story. No ands, ifs, or buts. Except there are ands, ifs, or buts because, sadly, for me, I am not in charge of the world or the government. I don't want to be in charge of the world or government. I would just like people to um, not die because of this stuff. It's easy to think of the way disabled people are treated in developing countries as animal and awful, horrific. It is easy to say how horrible it is. It is easy to look at visibly neglected children in Ukrainian orphanages and say, oh, how disgusting, and post it on Facebook with a sad face. It is easy to look at disabled people being killed in Ghana and say that is awful and atrocious. We need to look at ourselves for a little bit. We need to look at the disabled people being killed by their mothers in Canada and America and Mexico and England and Scotland and France and Spain and all those countries. We need to look at the people dying in those countries because of lack of access to care. We need to look at everyone who is being ostracized by their peers and by their community, at everyone who is suffering because of a system that does not allow them to prosper. In America, you can only have $2,000 at a time if you're on social security disability, and that goes down if you get married. That's not enough to survive. And by the way, disability income only covers rent and food. And I'm gonna let you in on a little secret. People need more than rent and food, especially if you're disabled. There is so much not covered by insurance, like more than you would think. And even things that are covered by insurance tend to have extremely high copays. It can be hundreds or thousands of dollars of copay on a wheelchair that is covered by insurance. It can be hundreds or thousands of dollars of copay on a drug that is covered by insurance. And do not even get me started on surgeries and hospital stays. It is hundreds of thousands of dollars without insurance. And it's still money with insurance, let alone if people are missing time off of work or don't have a support system. It is a constant fight for survival if you do not have the means to be disabled. Disability is expensive. It's really expensive. And most people aren't Stephen Hawking or Peter Dinklage. Most people are normal human people who are not famous, who are not celebrities, who don't make millions and aren't high profile. They're just people suffering at the hands of a really terrible system. And there are multiple terrible systems. Like I said, it depends on country and culture. But at the end of the day, the impact is often similar. 
I love talking with my friends about traveling back in time because we're all gay. Most of us are disabled. Some of us are not white. And the short of it is we'd probably be lobotomized. So it makes for a kind of funny, interesting, hypothetical conversation. Like, how long would I survive in the 1880s? Well, I'd die at six years old because of my appendix. Or, you know, oh, well, so-and-so would die at birth because of that. You know, it's morbid, but it's sort of a, a weird thing that comes up a lot. And it's really easy. It's so easy to laugh and be like, oh, yeah, if I was born in, you know, the 1910s when, like, eugenics was becoming a thing and, like, you know, oh, man, that'd be awful. I'd, I'd really suffer. Those things are still happening. Like, most of those things that we mock from our grandparents' generation and before are 100% still happening. Disabled women are still being forcibly sterilized. Children are taken away by Child Protective Services from disabled women all the time for the only reason being that they're disabled. Disabled men too, but it's often mothers who are targeted because society kind of still thinks that men cannot be good parents, which is very wrong. Um, But that's a whole topic for another episode. Those things that we mock in group texts when we talk about traveling back in time... 100% still happen. And one day, disabled people are going to look back and be like, oh my god, could you even imagine being born in the late 90s, early 2000s? Could you imagine being born in 2010? That's what they're going to look back and say, because this shit is still happening. That's what I hope they're going to look back and say. I hope things are going to get better, and they can look back and see how horrible it really was during this time. I like to think that the world will get it together. But rationally, I know that it's going to be a huge fight. Remember in 1990, when disabled people had to crawl up the steps of the Capitol building in Washington, D.C. to get the Americans with Disabilities Act passed? They shouldn't have had to done that. It shouldn't have been in 1990. In 1990, people had, like, pagers and, like, it was the 90s. I, I don't know how to explain that there should have been laws saying, yeah, your spaces have to be accessible before the 90s, before the 70s. Like, I, I'm not sure how to explain why it's bad that it happened so late. And I'm not sure how to explain why it's bad that such a drastic action had to be taken. And I'm not sure how to explain why it's bad that that's never taught in history classes. Because it is history. The first severely disabled student to attend college was Ed Roberts in the late 60s. Not like the 1920s, not the 1930s, not even the 1940s after we had a lot of disabled war veterans coming back from the Second World War. No, late 60s, when my grandparents were like 25, when my mom was born. Society does not often talk about these topics And when they do, when they very rarely do, it's a very new thing. So I know that as a community, we have to be so loud and so vocal. And not everyone can be so loud and so vocal, because a lot of people are in those exact abusive situations that I talked about. Or a lot of people don't even know that there's a community out there. The people who have the ability to be loud, and the people who have the ability to be angry, 
have to take advantage of that ability. Like, it's almost our duty as people who have the chance to say something to say it. Because so many people don't. So many people will never get the chance to say something. They will never get the chance to demand justice for themselves. We have to demand it for them. We have to demand it for every single disabled person out there. And of course, that goes for any minority group. You have to demand it for every single person of color out there, every single queer person out there. It doesn't just go for disability. That's just what I'm talking about here. I feel like, and some people probably disagree with it, but I feel like if you have the ability to be an advocate, it's your duty to take advantage of that ability because it is such a rare and precious ability and no one else is going to do it. No one else is going to fight for disability rights if disabled people don't. And that's not fair. That sucks. That's ridiculous. But it's the truth. Really quick, before I end this podcast, I would like to touch on the fact that um, I mock disabled characters killing themselves in media because I think it is a disgusting representation of disability. I think it's a horrible influence on disabled kids who are looking at those characters and saying, well, if this character couldn't make it, I sure as hell can't. And the reason I mock it is because those characters in media kill themselves because being disabled in and of itself is such a horrible, toxic thing. And that's not accurate. However, disabled people in real life do kill themselves. It happens. It does. I'm not going to lie. The reasons aren't what the media says they are, though. That's the difference. When disabled people kill themselves in real life, more often than not, it's because of untreated depression. It's because of just such a severe lack of access to care. Lack of access, period. It's because of the isolation and the ostracization of being disabled. That's what needs to be talked about. We need to talk about the society that puts disabled people in such a hopeless place where they feel like death is the only option. It's not because of the tragedy of not being able to walk or not being able to use an arm or whatever. It's because of the society that is so unsupportive and families that are so unsupportive and friends. That's what needs to be talked about. The same thing goes for queer people who kill themselves. The life expectancy for people, for women at least in the United States, is well into the 80s. The life expectancy for trans people in the United States is 34. So this whole society being awful to people and putting them in these awful situations, it doesn't just go for disabled people. It especially goes to queer people and especially trans people as well. It can be applied to so many different minorities. And there's so many little intricate complexities that I don't have the time to talk about, that I wouldn't have the time if I spent an hour in front of this microphone talking about. But they're there. This episode is for everyone who can't listen to it. For everyone who could not make it through such a demanding and grueling society. For everyone who doesn't have internet or doesn't have phone service, doesn't have the mobility equipment they need, doesn't have their life anymore. This podcast is for everyone who can't speak out. I'm talking about this stuff because I can, and that's a luxury. 
that in and of itself is a privilege. And I've 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 tried to keep my family from listening to this podcast because I don't really want to um, listen to them tell me that I'm being extreme in my views or that I shouldn't identify as disabled because that's negative. But at the end of the day, I have the ability and the, the means to talk about this stuff, to advocate for people. A lot of people don't. This is for everyone who doesn't. Well, that was a heavy episode. I'm going to leave you to ponder on everything I just word vomited out. Um, I do have a Patreon. If you are so inclined to give me money to keep creating these podcasts, um, it is patreon.com slash notyourinspo. And as always, take care of yourselves and I will see you soon.